Anytime somebody comes to me for premarital counseling or marriage advice, I always like to remind them that there are actually three rings in marriage. There's the engagement ring, that's the big one. There's the wedding ring, and then there's also the suffer ring. Come on, somebody, married people, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's real life, but that's horrible advice, Pastor. I know, it was a joke, so calm down. But here's the truth. There, this is true, you got to listen to me. There is nothing more inevitable in life than suffering. And you've been there, you've lost a job, you've lost a game, you failed a test, something maybe more significant has happened, that you've uh, lost a loved one, you've lost a child. Whatever it is in your life, we've all been through something difficult, and there's uh, pain and disappointment and betrayal and whatever you're going through. There's not a scale on those things. It's very real, and it's very significant to you and your life, and I want to acknowledge that. And in reality, it can be very confusing, but here's the good news. The good news is the Bible never shies away from this fact. And a book in your Bible called the book of Job faces the issue in a way that no other book in the Bible does, and in a very real way faces it uh, in a way that no other piece of world literature does. So the past couple weeks we've been looking at the book and the life of Job, and we know from chapters 1 and 2 that Job is a devout believer. He's a pillar of his community. He's a very good father, and in reality he's a very good man in a number of ways, but suddenly, inexplicably, and inconceivably, everything he has has ended up being taken away from him. His health, his wealth his family, everything. Job is plunged into agony, and for chapter after chapter, he becomes more confused, more angry. Uh, He ends up crying out to God in prayer, arguing with his wife, debating his friends, and through it all, Job says, I don't want to suffer without explanation or vindication. Those are the two things that Job is really looking for as he's praying, as he's debating, as he's arguing. If you read chapters 3 through 38, those are the two things that keep coming up. An explanation and vindication. And for good reason. I'm sure if you were Job, you would feel the same way. You'd say, okay, I'm suffering, but what are the reasons? What possible good reasons could God have for letting me go through what it is I'm going through? I need an explanation. Which, secondly, Job wants something you'd probably want if you were him. He says, I I do not want to suffer without vindication. My friends are over here telling everybody that I did something bad, and so this deserves to be happening to me. You know, they're posting it on the face box, and they're getting on the gram, and they're putting pictures up there, and I don't want to suffer without vindication. God wants, uh, Job wants God to show up and tell people that he's innocent, which we know that's true. We know the whole reason Job is suffering is because God sees him as innocent. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. I know. It's why we call this series When God Doesn't Make Sense. And today we're going to conclude the series with a message I've titled, Stay in Your Lane, Bro. Stay in Your Lane. 
I don't know if you've been there and somebody tries to tell you how to raise your kids or do your job or they want to ask you out. The next time that happens to you and you want to shut it down, just say, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. If we should probably practice this because this might be new vocabulary to a lot of you. So just look over at your neighbor and tell them, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Ironically, God pretty much says this exact thing to Job. Now, listen, staying in your lane is not the whole point of God showing up. I don't want you walking out of here believing that the whole point of Job and the whole point of this series is God is God. He can do whatever He wants. And we're just down here left to fend for ourselves. Wrong. In fairness, God kind of is God and can do whatever He wants. But God is also love and mercy and grace and all kinds of other wonderful things. So uh, if you brought a Bible, and I hope you did, we're going to get to explore a little bit of the character of God. I need you to meet me in Job chapter 38. Before we read this, you might want to uh, jot these three things down. This is where we're going to spend all of our time together. Here's my entire message. God is God, and I am not. God is God, and I am not. It will be okay someday, so I won't quit. That's our entire premise for what we're going to look at. God is God, I am not. It will be okay someday, so I won't quit. Don't worry if you didn't get all that written down. We'll put it back up for you in a second. But uh, these are the three ways to stay in your lane. You have to acknowledge that God is God. I am not. It will be okay someday. So I won't quit. Job chapter 38. Let's go. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. That word in the original Hebrew literally translates tempest or gale. Uh, I hope you realize that Hebrew wasn't just written in the Bible. In other world literature, that same word is used. And uh, one person says, this is the way you can describe it, a vertical column of air whirling around itself as it moves over the surface of land. Which, what does that sound like to your Kansas ears? Tornado. God shows up without advanced warning. No uh, break-in in the program from Merrill Teller and the Weather Lab. In a tornado and begins speaking to Job. Doesn't answer his question. Instead, begins questioning him. Verse 2. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Who else is nervous for Job at this point if if God shows up and says, brace yourself like a man? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Did you know that stars actually do sing? Scientists have recently discovered this. Look it up. Uh, You can find on the internet the sounds that stars are making. And here's what's remarkable. Scientists have no idea why. Stars are singing. 
I do. (laughs) Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? Don't tell me sarcasm isn't a spiritual gift. Come on, you know, God's showing up and just putting it on him. Uh, verse 18, do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? That's where Princess Elsa and Olaf live, in case you didn't know. That's not in there at all. Don't ever quote me on that. Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make up the tender, make the tender grass spring up? On and on we could go. All of chapter 38, all of chapter 39, finally in chapter 40, God quits questioning Job like a man and says this, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic. Do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. But God does. He goes on for another 53 verses describing the world and His knowledge and everything that He has done. Questioning Job like a man. Now what's, what's the point of all this? The point is actually found in verse 2 of chapter 38 when God says, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Your translation might say, Who is this that questions my knowledge without knowledge? Keep in mind, Job has been asking, why are you letting these things happen? It's very dark. It doesn't make sense. We'd all ask the exact same questions, and you probably already have. But God, in effect, says, stay in your lane, bro. You're questioning my wisdom without knowledge. He says, let's take a look at your knowledge for a second. How much do you know compared to what I know. And so there is a philosophical argument that's very typical in our world, not just in ancient times, but people are still saying the same thing today. And the argument is when there is evil and suffering and you see a particular horrible circumstance that happens, people say, well, if there was an all-powerful God and if He was an all-good God, then these things would never happen. Therefore, since the Bible says God is all-powerful and all-good, the God of the Bible cannot exist. That's the objection. It's still around today. However, let me remind you of point number one, which is God is God and I am not. Just because something happens that I can't explain doesn't mean God doesn't have a good reason for it. 
I mean, if you drill down on this, the only reason you know something is bad is because you've experienced what is good. And the only way, reason you know something is evil is because you've experienced love, right? And so if you really want to get philosophical, where did that sense of justice come from? Not evolution. It couldn't have come from there. It has nothing to do with survival of the fittest. In fact, probably the opposite. I read online uh, just this week, a 15-foot python killed an alligator in Florida, and nobody was upset about it. They were scared of pythons, which we all should be, but nobody said to themselves, take him to court. We got it, you know, it wasn't python on python. He's murdering an innocent alligator. So where did that sense of justice come from? I'll give you a better example that maybe will put this in perspective. My son and I like to watch Dude Perfect videos on YouTube. Anybody else know what I'm talking about with these guys? This is amazing. Uh, In case you don't know, five college buddies get together and they do crazy trick shots with real life things or basketball things. Really no point, but five guys get together to try and figure out how to compete with one another and listen, make a ton of money doing it. I didn't know that was an option when I went to school. Like I wouldn't, I didn't know YouTuber was a thing, but apparently it is. That being said, one of the challenges they recently designed was a rocket challenge. And they were, you know, tasked with building a rocket and whoever shot theirs up the highest got points and whoever's went the farthest got more points. And if you were able to hop on a four-wheeler and drive it and catch your rocket as the parachute exploded... Uh, and catch it before it hits the ground, you got even more points. Again, no real life significance, no real point, uh, entertaining nonetheless. So let's pretend that Leighton and I decided, since we watched this on TV, we're going to have a little bit of a rocket challenge. And I say to my eight-year-old, uh, hey man, let's, let's do all of this. Let's build our rockets. Let's launch them into space. And let's say before the rocket launch, my eight-year-old shows up to me and says uh, to me, his superior, the man who literally brought life to his body. Uh, That's not entirely true. I was in the room when that happened, you know what I mean? But I was in the corner in the fetal position crying because I'll never be able to unsee what I just saw. But let's pretend like uh, it, it is all terrifying. Sometimes I have nightmares. But my point being, he comes to me and he says, this thing will never fly. It's too heavy. It's too big. I can just tell it's never going to work. Listen, I would not engage my son in that dialogue and say, you know, start explaining. Let Listen, let me explain, you know, thermodynamics and thrust and rocket propulsion and gravity. No. What would I say? Boy, sit down and watch me do what I do. This rocket is going to fly. In the same way, Job is questioning God's reasoning and God is saying, Job, You have a major knowledge problem here. I, God, I built all this that you are seeing. And the point is not, I'm God and I can do whatever I want. The point is, if you have a God who is big enough and powerful enough to be mad at, 
because he's not stopping the suffering, then you at the same moment have a God big enough and powerful enough to have reasons for why he allows it. Reasons you possibly couldn't conceive of. You cannot have it both ways. You can either say there is no God, which means everything is a crapshoot anyway, so what are you mad at? Well, you know, there's no point, so what are you complaining about? Or you can say there is a God, and I'm not Him, so He must have a reason for why this is happening. Just because you can't think of a good reason doesn't mean there isn't one. It's like an eight-year-old trying to explain rocket propulsion to a rocket scientist. It doesn't work. Actually, it's quite a bit worse than that. Just to point this and push this a little bit further, have you all ever heard of the butterfly effect? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I see some yeah, people realizing it. It's a hypothesis within a field of study called chaos theory. A guy named Edward Lorenz explained it like this. He said, does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? In other words, do small things happening here have major ripple effects in other places that can cause big things? And the answer to that is, of course, yes. Now, does a butterfly's wings cause it? No, I don't believe that. But we all know that little things do make ripple effects and cause big things. And we have no idea what some of the little decisions that we make every single day, how they're going to impact us years and years down the road. And what God is really saying to Job is, I'm big enough to know all all of the repercussions of every decision that you make and how those decisions apply to everybody else's decisions and how all these decisions weave together. Therefore, I have reasons for allowing things to happen that you couldn't possibly conceive of. To look at evil and say there can't be a God assumes that because I can't perceive it, as a human being, any reasons why God would allow something, therefore there can't be any good reasons, that is absurd. It is a non sequitur. It does not work. But regardless of that, Jesus even shows up on the scene in Luke chapter 13 and makes it 100% clear in the Tower of Siloam that sometimes bad things just happen because there's real sin and real evil in this world, and God didn't create it that way. He created it to be perfect, but as a result of all of our disobedience, because everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the punishment for that way back in the beginning was death and destruction and everything being affected by evil in the world. What I find so fascinating is that in Psalm 147, David writes and backs up what God is saying uh, here in Job. And he says that God determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. You know how many stars there are? I found out this week that one galaxy can have a trillion stars. And there are billions of galaxies. You realize how many names you have to remember? Have you named all that? At some point, you'd have to start calling them by number, right? Like you're number 10 gazillion because I can't think of any more names. Especially because the Bible tells us that God knows our names and the names of everybody who's ever lived. And He knows the number of hairs on their head. 
Some of you, that's easier to count than others, but I, that's, not, that's not the point. And God really makes this difficult on himself because he not only knows our names, but he, he renames people. And so he says, Saul, you're no longer Saul, you're now Paul. And Simon, you're going to now be called Peter. And God makes this incredibly difficult on himself. And God's given me the ability to remember every face that I see. And with my memory, I can remember every single name that I hear. I just can't always put the two together. You know, <laughs> I can't remember the face and the name, but God can. And think about this. This is remarkable. You may feel like you're sitting still right now, but it's an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of roughly 1,000 miles per hour. Every 24 hours, the earth pulls off an amazing ultimate 360. And nobody feels like wind is blowing in their face. Every 365.24 days, we make another trip around the sun because besides spinning around like a top, we're also hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. So even on a day you feel like you didn't get much accomplished, don't forget that you did travel 1,610,592 miles through space. Come on, somebody, that'll burn some calories, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) To top things off, there are roughly a hundred billion galaxies that are visible right now to the telescopes that we man have created. From what we can tell, this is only an infinitesimal little slice of the universe. Some people believe that the universe is still expanding. I have no problem with that from a Christian perspective because God's voice goes out and it just continues creating. But this will really blow your mind because our galaxy, the Milky Way, also a wonderful candy bar, it is spinning at a dizzying rate of 483,000 miles per hour. And here we are sitting still feeling like nothing is happening. Nobody feels like they're going to be flung from their chair. Can you imagine? That'd be like the worst cruise ship ever, you know? Like, whoa, this is great. But here's why this is a big deal. Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made that amazing universe we just talked about. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. He sustains all things by the power of His Word. As G.K. Chesterton points out, God, Jesus, just wakes up every morning and says, do it again. Spin at 483,000 miles per hour. Spin at 67,000 miles per hour. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Now, is this really the kind of person you want to get huffy with when he's not answering your text messages? The person who created all this and sustains it by the power of his word? And you know he's read it. Because you saw the little bubbles after you typed it, and it says red, 12, 17 p.m. And you're like, Jesus! I know you read the message. I know you can hear it. What were you? I saw the bubbles. What were you getting ready to type? Was it an emoji? Was it a thumbs up emoji? Was it a face with the sunglasses? Were you going to tell me everything's going to be okay? And when you have to get to a place in your own heart where you realize God may be not answering 
the prayer the way you thought he would or should. God might not answer uh, your prayer in the time frame that you thought he should. And you're not going to have any peace in this life until you see the size of God for who he actually is. Until you get a God-sized God, you're going to keep putting yourself on the throne and questioning his ability and how dare you do this and how could this have happened. If that's you, then your God is too small. Plus the Holy Trinitarian God of the Bible, even though he might not answer your questions and prayers, he did promise you that it's all going to be better someday. I could have given you hundreds of verses that God says about fear not and don't be anxious and I care about the birds in the air. Aren't you more important than a bird? And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But we're in the book of Job and it's just as significant to look at what God does not say as it is to look at what God does say when he shows up. Which here's what God does not say. He doesn't say anything about why Job wanted him to show up for in the first place. Remember what that was? Job wanted an explanation and vindication. And so what's so extremely important for us to see is that when God shows up, he never says a word about either. This is somewhat puzzling because as the readers, we see both. We know what the reasons are. We know that God and Satan, the accuser, had a dialogue. And God says to Satan, have you seen my boy Job? He's better than anybody else in the world. Nobody else like him. And Satan looks at Job and says, does Job serve God for nothing? You're giving him all this stuff. Of course he's going to serve you. He's got good things, so he's going to keep doing good things, bring some suffering into his life, and his true colors will come out. And what does God do? God allows the suffering in order to completely refute everything Satan wants to do. God only gives Satan enough rope to hang himself. Satan wants to discredit Job, expose him as a fraud, and God only allows uh, the accuser, Satan, to bring enough suffering in such an amount that as of today, Job's name literally lives on forever. Job is one of the most famous figures in all of the human race, and millions of people have been inspired and encouraged by his uh, acts of bravery and courage. And so we know the reason, but when God shows up, he doesn't give Job the reason at all. This is very important because this is about trust. This is about us knowing and learning that it will be okay someday. When God shows up and talks to Job in chapter 40, verse 8, he says, Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove yourself right. Because Job is right. He was innocent. And this is a critical verse to understand because God looks at Job and says, you're trying to justify yourself. Here's why that's significant for you in 2019, because that's the very default position of all of our hearts. We're all trying to justify ourselves. And many of us believe that if we live a good life, then God owes me. 
And our normal posture is if I do good, then good should happen to me. And if I do X, Y, and Z, then X, Y, and Z should happen. And if I go to work, I should get paid. And if I study for my test, then I should get a good grade. And when it comes to Christianity and following God, we may say we're believers saved by grace, but deep in our hearts we still believe that I've got to stop drinking and I've got to stop cussing and I've got to stop watching rated R movies and I've got to stop doing whatever it is because that's going to earn me extra credit points with God. And the point God is making that I pray each one of you come to understand is that only by God's grace do we have anything at all including our salvation and including a hope for an eternity in heaven with God. So if God shows up and says to Job, now Job, you're going to suffer intensely, but it's just going to be for this limited amount of time. But two and 3,000 years from now, people are going to be gathered from Africa to Asia to Australia talking about your name. And people are going to be gathered together from New York to L.A. And they're going to be learning about you and your life. And thousands of people are going to be encouraged by your example. And you will have a name that lives forever. Then Job would say, well, okay, I'll put up with the suffering now. Well, what do you have in that case? You have a person who's in it for themselves. They're serving God for what they're going to get out of it. Instead, God is asking you to put your trust in Him with the understanding that it will be better someday. And it might not be while you're on this planet. It's why Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation, all of it, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is the hope we have in which we were saved. This is why we know evil is evil. Because God put it in your soul and it groans for how things God originally made them to be. And the trees groan and the grass groans and animals groan and all of creation longs for the day that God will make everything okay. So in a very real way, God is saying to Job and God is saying to us, you can never give up. It's going to be okay someday, so you cannot quit. I could have given you, again, dozens and dozens of examples of perseverance and grit and determination. That's really what we're talking about when I say don't quit. Uh, Perseverance, the abominable spirit. Could have talked about and given you examples of how Walt Disney was fired from his first job in Kansas City because he had, quote, no imagination what? Could have talked about how Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, don't even come at me with that trash about LeBron. Greatest basketball player of all time. He was cut from his varsity basketball team as a sophomore. We could have talked about that. We could have talked about Abraham Lincoln and how the eight uh, uh, campaigns that he did before his presidential run, he lost every single one of them 
And yet he had the perseverance to keep going. Praise God for that. I don't think most people really struggle with, with those things. They struggle with why? Well, why? Who, who would fire Walt Disney? You know, who, what moron would cut MJ? And how did Abraham Lincoln have the perseverance to do all of these things? Well, you might want to write this somewhere in your notes. I don't know who said this. I couldn't find it. I had written the quote down a long time ago, but it's, Success without process will leave you unqualified to reign over what you've built. Success without process will leave you unqualified to reign over over what you've built. In my words, it's in the process of perseverance where God molds you into the person He wants you to become. You've got to go through the process. And at the end of the story, God gives everything to Job back twofold. 200% increase on the camels and the donkeys and the children and the houses Everything he's lost doubled. Why? Because some blessings aren't safe to have until you're willing to serve God without them. Say that again, because that was really good. You all doing that thing where you stare at me and you're not I'm not sure if you heard what I'm saying. Some blessings are not safe to have until you're willing to serve God without them. Because Otherwise, they become pseudo-gods, things that you look to for safety and worship and as a god and things that you put your hope in instead of God. And so they're not safe to have. I'll show this to you in Scripture and then we're done. Matthew 6.33 says, but Jesus said, but seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness And all these other things that you desire, they're going to be given to you as well. The point being, when they're safe, God will give you all these other things. See, God knows what you're going through and God knows what you need. And God hasn't left you here by yourself. That's why I'm so passionate about you getting into a small group. I don't think you need another thing to do. I think you need people in your life who will do life with you, though who will help teach you and who will help remind you that God is God and you're not, and it's going to be okay someday. And so together, we're going to get through this because we're not going to quit. Now, hopefully those people do a better job than Job's friends did and his wife did, but nonetheless, they're there. And they need to be involved. And God has created you for a relationship, first with Him and then with other people. That's why the Bible says the greatest commandment is to love God and then other people. Because you're not supposed to be doing life alone. So listen to me now. If you get nothing else, I say you have to get this. God hasn't given up on you. He brought you here. So of course He hasn't given up on you. And Jesus didn't give up on you. He went through with the beatings and the torture and the humiliation and the betrayal. And he went through with the pain of pushing his body weight up on a nail with his feet as he suffocated to death and just longed to take in one more breath, one more 
gasp of air into his lungs as his body started to shut down and his blood poured out of his open wounds. He went through the wrath of God being poured out on him because he loves you. And he went through horrible things so that you could be taught that you can too get through whatever's horrible going on in your life. And what's horrible is not because God doesn't love you. No, 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 no. It's, it's because God loves you. And you went through some things because there's such a thing as evil in this world. People say, well, why doesn't God just come back already? Aren't you glad he didn't because of your story? There's that one more person. Don't count this patience as, you know, something that God is just waiting on and is just evilness. He's just allowing. No, 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 no. He's waiting on that one more person to put their trust in him because he loves them and he wants them to spend an eternity with him. And he left you on this planet to spread that message. God wants to gather in all of the lost sheep. His love for you and His love for creation, it is staying His hand. Maybe that's you. You're the one person that God is longing for you to respond to the call that He's placed in your heart. Or maybe you already have. And the point of the message for you today is to stay in your lane. Follow after Jesus. Get ever closer to Him. I promise you, He's worth it. God's not trying to keep anything from you. They just aren't safe yet. We'll be better someday. So don't quit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is a holy moment where God is speaking. God, we're imploring you to do what you did for Job. Send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way and speak to our hearts. God, we long for you. The love that you have for us is evident. We see it in creation. The grace of waking up this morning, breathing fresh air, seeing the sunshine. God, thank you so much for another day on this amazing planet. We know that there is evil and suffering in this world, but we also know that you've created us to make a difference. Help us learn how to discover how we can go into this world and share your love. Teach us how we can trust more in you because you're God and we're not. God, we repent of our sin. We lay down the idols that we have. Some of these things we're longing after aren't safe. We're giving them up. Be with us. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if these are the words that God is speaking to you to repent and be saved, just do that right now. Don't wait any longer. Turn your life over to God. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to make you new. You just have to be humble enough to 
Say, I believe. Say, God, forgive me. God, help each one of us as we leave this place. Let's bring you glory by our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.